You're listening to Radio Canada's Home Abroad, and I'm in the IDFs in Toronto with Deirdre Moore and Mark Clark. And Deirdre's from County Galway, uh, God's own country. Mark is from somewhere else. <laughs> He's a Limerick man, just the right start of the three years since. But the farm, the IDA office was established here in Toronto a number of years ago, and we'll find out when. Previously, the IDA uh, covered Canada as the New York office, but the volume of business and potential business was such that the Irish government considered it well worth their while to establish uh, a footprint in Canada with uh, its own office. And Deirdre heads up as at the helm. Mark has just arrived in, starting a three-year stint. And uh, we're going to find out a little. Deirdre, thanks and Mark, thanks for your coming along. Not all delighted to be here. Um, thanks. So, first, when was the office? When did the, uh, I, I remember, but I forget. You know, you're very good. You've done your homework. Yeah, we set up officially August 2019. Uh, right. I was kind of up and I was based in the US for eight years before that, and I was up and down a little bit, kind of getting things up and running and the legalities and that. Uh, but we moved into this space in August 2019, six months before lockdown. Um, but obviously, we've always had a presence in Canada. We just serviced it remotely. So our offices in New York used to travel up and down. Some of my colleagues in New York, and also in San Francisco, would have covered the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose North America has always been the biggest market for IDA. Uh, I think 70% of our business, more or less, comes from North America, uh, which is basically US and Canada. Uh, the Canadian market was a small percentage of that, maybe about 3%, two and a half, three percent of our, our, our business. If you look at job, both client numbers and jobs created. Um, but we've seen that kind of steadily grow uh, from a small base, I guess. It's kind of grown towards 5% of the North American portfolio. Um, and that was driven by a number of things. Uh, we were coming here more frequently. Uh, but we were seeing increased interest from Canadian companies uh, due to, we think, three things. One was there was, at the time, maybe it was 2018, there was uh, the NAFTA renegotiation. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, as they were kind of renegotiating that with the U.S., um, the Canadian government was really encouraging, and they're still encouraging Canadian companies to look, I suppose, broader. The US market is still hugely important to Canadian companies, but they're kind of uh, more likely to look towards Europe as, as, a, as a, like, you know, to, what, uh, 455 million consumers, very wealthy market, it's a little bit more complicated because there's lots of different borders and countries mm-hmm. and languages, but I guess the Canadian government is really trying to support Canadian companies uh, and encouraging them to, to, um, to export there more. So obviously that's an opportunity for us. Um, the second piece was uh, CETA, so that was all being negotiated and basically opening up all uh, trade barriers. Mm-hmm. So I think it's basically um, we're nearly there across Europe. I know there's some, some I know there's, there's some other uh, delays there, but we're nearly there. But essentially, again, that drove interest from Canadian companies into the European market. Um, and then there is a third one. Ireland, of course, was the only English speaking. Well, for, for sure, oh, sorry, Brexit. Brexit would have oh, been. And, right. and that's actually. So basically, Brexit happened the, yeah. in 2016. Obviously, the vote went through. And, you know, the UK is still a very important market for Canadian companies. I believe it's probably the second largest uh, market for, for Canadian exporters. But, uh, and also, from our perspective, a lot of Canadian companies would have looked to the UK as a European base across different sectors. Mm-hmm. But with Brexit, that caused a bit more pause around that. Uh, France, also for Quebec, they, they look at French, uh, France uh, quite frequently. But with Brexit, um, just uh, Canadian companies were, we, they wanted EU access, they wanted, uh, I suppose, the stability of, of a market that they knew they would have free access into the EU, both from a trade perspective, but also from a hiring perspective. You want to be able to hire people from all across Europe mm-hmm. to serve European, European um, 
uh, customers. So those kind of three things basically kind of led to increased interest uh, in Ireland. Ireland obviously a committed member of the EU, uh, now the only English-speaking member of the EU, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and also a very well-developed uh, economy in terms of, uh, you know, very good talent base, very good pro-business policies, very good infrastructure, um, and yet just in general a fairly competitive place for Canadian companies to base themselves from a European perspective. And of course a long history, I just came from Grasset Park, um, oh, very and good. the history of course between Ireland and Canada goes way back. Yes. Uh, to the fisheries from Newfoundland, the yes. 1600s, hundreds. hundreds. But, yeah. um, you see, like, I, I was conscious that Ireland was the only English speaking country in the Eurozone initially, now it's only English speaking country in the EU, yeah. and that that does represent a tremendous advantage. But while that provides a doorway into Europe, uh, a number of Canadian companies have established themselves in Ireland itself and mm-hmm. have bought up um, businesses. Uh, in, in the petroleum sector and a variety of other sectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know when I, I, I was recently down in Limerick and someone mentioned to me Circle K, that was American. I said, no, they're Canadian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, no, for sure, there's. So, we. We have about 55 Canadian clients, which sounds small, but mm-hmm. that's actually up about 40% in the last three to four years. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very large, uh, large operations. Some of them are just kind of getting established and scaling up. Um, they employ about 7,000 people in Ireland. If you st- so IDA supports international companies that have a base in Ireland to export from Ireland. If they're going into just service the domestic market, we, we, we can't support that and we don't, we don't fully support it. We work with them as they expand and maybe build out operations. But uh, So because of that, there's actually more Canadian companies in Ireland. But for example, the likes of Couchetard or Circle K, they are clients. They have an international procurement operation in Ireland employing about 20, 25 people. But they also have another several thousand people working across the retail stores that we right. don't necessarily support. So um, Canadian companies actually employ about 15,000 people in Ireland. But in IDA's portfolio, it's about 7,000. So you remit then that you're saying is for companies that are establishing themselves in Ireland but not confining themselves to the Irish market? Absolutely. We're, we're our, our remit is job creation, uh, driving exports, uh, investment in R&D, basically anything that kind of, I suppose, um, impacts economic development. Uh, so w- w- I guess the, it's a policy decision that we took years ago, well before my time, that we wouldn't focus on companies coming into the Irish market because it's too small. It's five million people, and if they were just coming into service the Irish market, you're, you're displacing Irish companies, right. and that was kind of was unfair. Um, so we we support international companies that use Ireland as an international base. Now, absolutely, some of them are selling into the Irish market, but with the size of Europe, mm-hmm. it's only a small percentage of what they're doing. So right. we really for, focus on export oriented. Uh, projects. Right, and of course, Enterprise Ireland is looking in the opposite direction. Yeah, so again, same remit though, looking yeah. to build exports from Ireland, so they want to see increased uh, economic activity, uh, in that, and so they're really encouraging their Irish companies to grow and export. Right. They have a network of offices all around the world to help Irish companies come into these markets right. uh, and do that very successfully. So you mentioned CETA, and I know there was some um, pause in having it ratified, mm-hmm. but I think that's all. You know, I I let the politicians uh, deal with that stuff. And at at the end of the day, and I will say to you, so we've said 55 clients, and that has grown quite a bit over over the years. I've been here two years, just over two years now, and 
I don't think CETA has come up maybe maybe a couple of times. At the end of the day, what drives these companies is we need a base in Europe. We have European uh, customers or we see potential for growth there. So we want to establish a European sales team or a European support team to better drive our business in Europe. Or the second kind of, I suppose, driver is we need engineers, we need uh, development talent, and we need to set ourselves up in another hiring market. And so they're hiring engineers in Ireland, but also from all across the EU because there's no barriers to in terms of immigration. So they're pulling in great engineers from all across Europe into their Irish office. So really it's driven by talent. Mm-hmm. And then it's the opportunity to be closer to customers, closer to the EU market, um, and then having an easy environment to get up and running. I've been told multiple times that Ireland's the easiest place I've ever set up an office. Right. From like the legalities of it, the, you know, just the, 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 the bureaucracy of it, it's, it's pr- fairly straightforward because we've been doing this for 70 plus years. Uh, so um, then the... Um, when it comes to the establishment of uh, business in Ireland, um, oftentimes the 12.5% tax was t- thrown out there mm-hmm. as this is the hook that brings people in. But yet, recently I read somewhere that a lot of multinationals do not look on a change of that going 125 to 15, that that would necessarily be a disincentive. Yeah, you know, that's obviously been very uh, high in the um, in the headline. So essentially, there has been a move to bring in a global minimum tax rate mm-hmm. of 15%. And Ireland is one of the few countries with a corporate tax rate lower than that in the OECD. So it was going to impact us more than any other country, I guess, involved. I think it was four other countries that were involved. Uh, or, sorry, that had a, had a lower a lower tax rate. So there was a lot of negotiation, and in fairness, Ireland is one of the, I suppose we were one of the last countries to sign up to this agreement, um, but because we wanted, uh, we wanted reassurance that it wouldn't be higher than 15%, because the text initially was a minimum 15% rate. So I suppose some of the delays and the reason Ireland is in the, he- the headlines is because we were kind of the last holdout uh, right. that had kind of some, and it actually kind of showed the soft power Ireland had, that the fact that they got that minimum removed from that, um, mm-hmm. from the, from that. so essentially what it means is Ireland will now have two tax rates right. um, so we have a 15% tax rate and a 12.5% tax rate and the 15% tax rate that this global I suppose this global agreement uh, um, will, will affect is any company with revenues global revenues of more than 750 million okay. so it's really going after those bigger like massive um, multinationals um, and ensuring that they pay their pay their fair share yeah. so I think I've seen a statistic there recently that only I think 95% of companies in Ireland, both international and Irish, won't be affected by this. Right. It's really just those big players. So um, the feedback from clients is, and we had a minister here just recently, and you know, I guess that came up as a topic, but more out of interest, um, all of the companies that he met said, we understand Ireland's position, uh, we're happy to be there, tax is not the key driver for our decisions, it's really around talent and ability to access the European market, um, and 2.5% for a lot of these companies I suppose wouldn't be a game changer. Um, so it's, and, and also they, they uh, appreciate the fact that Ireland is in that agreement rather than outside of it, which gives them a lot more comfort. So there, um, what are you seeing in the next five years? So I guess we have, as, as, a, as a, an agency, we're quite focused in terms of the sectors that we go, we go after. Um, I am, my, my key focus here is technology, which is fairly broad, it's everything from enterprise, cyber, animation, digital, internet, and I work with the larger guys as well as the smaller guys, mm-hmm. so we work with startups. Uh, um, and then Mark has just... I'd be looking after international financial services and life sciences, right. so with the IFS portfolio it's broken down into banking, 
um, insurance, fintech, so it's a broad spectrum. And then with the life sciences side, it's broken down to pharmaceutical companies and medtech companies. So it's a crossover as well with the tech side. And of course, Ireland has had a huge reputation always on the fintech side and on the pharmaceutical side. Massive. I mean, even going back to Deirdre's point, the talent. Um, but we find a lot of the companies, um, why they're so successful is their collaboration with universities. Right. So, for instance, in Munster Technology University, they've created a master's in fintech innovation. In University of Limerick, they've created a new immersive engineering course where the likes of Shopify, Stripe are backing it. So they're sending their staff in to upskill in the master's and come out then with the, um, the master's in um, fintech engineering. You mentioned something there which is actually very important, and that is the education, the part partnering with education and the reputation that Irish education has globally. Even just to add to that, so in Ireland, if a non-EU student studies in Ireland, they automatically get a visa for two years. So that's seen very advantageous to the companies that when a student comes in from outside Europe, they qualify and then they're taken on by the company. So it's a seamless process then for the company to take on that um, visa. So it's worked very well. And we, as a country as well, because talent is our key selling point as well as ease of doing business, you know, we're, we're trying to ensure that we have a talent pipeline. So there's three ways of doing that. Well, Ireland, Ireland's doing quite well. Our population is growing naturally anyway. So uh, one of the few populations in Europe that actually has a natural um, growth in birth rate, which, which is positive. Um, but then secondly, it's around in importing talent. And we have a very open immigration uh, system. Uh, we have no cap on work permits like they do in other countries. And so it's very relatively easy to get in the talent that you need if you can't find it within the EU. Right. But then the third piece really is investing in our universities and colleges to ensure that the right uh, type of talent is coming out of those and we would facilitate introductions all the time across our portfolio of companies to make sure and, and, and they go in as guest lecturers they kind of feed into um, curriculum. curriculum development uh, to make sure that the, the right talent is coming out so, and the universities are very geared up to do that so it's, it's, it's very very positive right. um, but just actually just back just before we move on from the sectors you know the um, so, like the Canadian portfolio is kind of fairly evenly split split between technology and financial services, and we've seen, you know, a huge like a lot of the big I don't know if, uh, many people, but a lot of the big Canadian banks and financial services companies do have large operations in Ireland, and uh, I don't know if you want to, like it, for, even from a Brexit perspective, the likes of TD Bank, BMO, and Scotia Bank all have used um, have have chosen Ireland as their post Brexit. European location. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've done kind of well out of that. And um, same with insurance, like Canada Life has a big presence in, uh, yeah. in Dublin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I remember they had many, many years ago as well uh, yeah. in Dublin, Canada Life. So, uh, yeah. so um, then in terms of just the two, it's just the two of you. It's just the two. We've doubled in size since last week, so <laughs> it's, it's very positive. It was always, we have, um, our, in terms of our North American presence, is about 40 people. Yeah. Uh, biggest presence is New York and San Francisco, right. and then we have a kind of a, a number of two or three person offices then kind of uh, spread around. Obviously, the hope is that we'd, we'd grow beyond that. Um, right. Something like 75% of our business is from... Ontario and Quebec, so which is why we most like 60% is Ontario. So that's hence we chose Toronto as a location. But we have a nice uh, portfolio of business out of, out in the West Coast, Telus International, which is one of the largest Canadian employers in Ireland. Mm -hmm. In our portfolio, they have three operations in Ireland: one in Dublin, one in Cork, one in Ballina. Mm -hmm. uh, just last week, had a, had an expansion at their Ballina operation. Uh, so you know, you, you know, as things grow, you'd like to think that we'd be able to put more 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 um, boots on the ground in, in those in those growing growing locations. Right. Well, I don't want to detain you guys any longer. It's been wonderful getting a, a flavour and, and meeting you. Likely, thank you very much. 
and uh, it, I do keep an eye on, on the growth and, and as I've seen over the years how the Canadian market has been expanding. Absolutely um, and even during Covid we've some great examples of companies that have set up like established and even some of them have never set foot in Ireland at all but based on I suppose the information and the case studies and I suppose the good um, the good experiences that other companies have had they've gone ahead and invested in set up operations so even during Covid we've had multiple companies announce offices as well as expansions and hiring so no, it's very positive um, I guess you know we get a fairly warm in, uh, reception with these with companies but still I mean at the end of the day we have to be competitive and, and Ireland has to remain competitive to, to, and Canadian, Canadian companies in, in, are, are fairly astute in terms mm-hmm. of, of, of you know and they're, they're, they're probably more risk averse they're a little bit more cautious so you know there's a lot of I suppose uh, information gathering and hand holding as, as like they're not they're not quick wins uh, you know no, we're here not, two yeah. years but some of these projects take multiples of that you know so. I remember being out of home a few years ago when there was that horrendous storm oh yeah oh yeah and uh, I remember hearing that uh, there was one company achieved one of 105 percent productivity oh wow during the storm when everyone else was down to 40 or 50 and was shocked about it. very good uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because people were working from home and it was in Mayo and Galway and, uh, yeah yeah. Shopify are flying it as well. I suppose some of that's just in general, the company's doing quite well. But then with COVID and the move to e-commerce, so everyone's buying online. All of the so they facilitate any business to sell online, essentially, uh, or build a shop front. And I guess all of the you know even you know the local shop that didn't have an online presence you know needed to get online during COVID. So they've done very well. They've you know more than 500 people now in Ireland working remotely across. The, they're in every county in Ireland, yeah. Yeah. Um, and have a very positive uh, have had a very positive experience. So um, they're one of our key references in terms of how to do remote working well. Indeed. Yeah. Dear Mark, it's been a real pleasure meeting you guys. You Thanks too. For the time. Thanks for coming by. Thanks. Cheers.